and everybody gets it back again. Don't take no mess out the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrapple it. How they win that game today. There's just one thing you can say. How does Scotty shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dot that's in your lap. Garden Report podcast. I am Sean Hyken, the author and host of the Rose Garden Report newsletter and podcast. You can subscribe to the newsletter on rosegardenreport.beehive.com for both a free or a paid subscription. Either way, whichever one you want to do, I appreciate everybody for subscribing and reading. You can get the podcast on all the usual platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google, Anywhere else you get your podcasts, do all the usual stuff, subscribe, rate, review, all of that. Back on the pod, I apologize there were no pods during the time that I was in Vegas at Summer League, but we're back now. Eric Garcia Gunderson, who has been on the pod now multiple times, is back. Eric, how you doing? I mean, I'm doing all right. I had a lot of FOMO when you were in Vegas, not gonna lie. I haven't been to Summer League since 2018, and obviously for the last couple of years, it hasn't been that great, and the last time I missed it, too, I was also on my honeymoon, so I wasn't, like, upset about that one. Uh, that was a good time to be away from Summer League, but I, I did I did miss out seeing all the friends and, and seeing people from the internet that we converse with all the time uh, about the game, so... That, that, that is one thing I, I'm being honest about here is that I, I do have a little bit of FOMO about not being at Summer League. I will say this year, it was pretty much completely back as far as the vibes. I went last, so 2020, obviously they didn't even have it because of COVID because they, the entire world was still shut down at that point. But last year they had it and I went and it was kind of a waste of my time because it was so it, the summer league last year was in August because the entire calendar got pushed back because they started the last season late because of the bubble and COVID and all of that. And it was right during the Delta surge last summer. And so everybody, a, like there was no real in-person access to anything in terms of like being able to do all the usual stuff that somebody in my position does where, you know, you're networking and talking to different league executives and team people and whoever. There was none of that because it was so buttoned up and restricted who we were allowed to talk to, where we were allowed to go. And then also a lot of the stuff that, you know, you were talking about seeing friends and seeing media people that I haven't seen in a couple of years there was no real like going out to dinners and going out to anything because everybody understandably last year because of COVID just wasn't really trying to hang out and was people were just kind of staying in their hotel rooms when they weren't at the arena. And it was just like a weird vibe this year. I can tell you, and you can land wherever you want to land on whether you think this is a good thing or a bad thing. But if you go to Las Vegas, COVID just is like, does not exist anymore. Barely anybody's wearing masks. Nothing is restricted. Nothing is closed. If I don't get, I have somehow never had COVID in the two and a half years that the pandemic has been going on. If I don't get COVID in the next couple of days after spending five days out in Las Vegas where everything is totally wide open, I might just never get COVID. Dude, you, yeah, you've got the, you've got it, dude. You've got the super immunity. The super David Guetta. The super David Guetta. Yeah, exactly. Maybe, yeah, I, I, I haven't either. So luckily at this point, uh, so knocking on wood here uh to make sure that that keeps going but dude you were there uh for for the blazers it's been a roller coaster of emotions because in game one shaden sharp leaves the game after just six minutes of action doesn't come back and then a couple of days later we we hear that he has a small labral tear and he's done for summer league but you have been there for the breakout player of Summer League, I would say, Jabari Walker. Uh, how was that to see in person? And what did you? What were your impressions of him uh, seeing him? I have my own, but I was only watching him on TV. I just really like him. I just think he profiles as, and you can watch, like, 
you don't want to take too much away from these summer league things. I've been going to this event for 10 years. There's plenty of guys that look good at summer league that aren't actually ending up being good NBA players. I shout out to Josh Shelby. Yes, exactly. The first year that I ever went to summer league was 2012. And the two co-MVPs of summer league that year were Damian Lillard, who it was pretty obvious at summer league that he was going to end up being as good as he was going to be. Cause you could just tell. And then Josh Selby, who just scored a bunch of points and then never really did anything in the league. But Jabari Walker, you just watch him on the court. I don't know what, I don't even like know what his numbers are because summer league stats are useless, but he just is such a smart player in terms of, he knows where to be for rebounds. He has the size to match up against different people defensively. He is smart enough with his defensive positioning. Like, and we talked to him about it. I was really real. Like, I thought he looked pretty good in the games that, that he was able to play in. But I was really impressed with him just talking to him and getting to know him a little bit in practice. And so for those of you who don't know, I think obviously probably everybody knows this by now. But his dad is Samaki Walker, who played in the league for 10 years. He played for the Lakers for a while. He played for the Spurs. He was drafted by the Mavericks he played for a few different teams he was like basically a journeyman but he's stuck in the league for 10 years and Jabari Walker at one of these practices talked about how it he thought it was kind of an advantage for him that his dad had a 10-year NBA career not as a star and he said that his dad taught him that being a role player is actually something to be proud of and you can make a lot of money being a role player so I just think that self-awareness at 19 already coming into the league especially when he was a second round pick so it's not like he is guaranteed to get a contract like he might either get a two-way contract or a regular NBA contract at that point and he already has the self-awareness to say look I know I'm not going to be a go-to scorer I'm just going to try to rebound and be a role player and play defense and just focus on doing other stuff to keep me on the court being able to have that kind of self-awareness and that kind of perspective at 19 I was really impressed by and the Blazers announced yesterday that they actually signed him to the 15th real roster spot on the roster, as opposed to just giving him a two-way spot, which I think people had thought was going to be the case. Yeah, no, and and also uh, a cool Samaki Walker. Like to to your point, I mean, he was a starter uh, for the Lakers, even though he was like you know he never scored and he was just a role guy, but he started. He was a fifth so, starter. Yeah, and, and and you know in the playoffs, I think they normally play like Robert Ori in that spot, but. Mm. It was, but still, like he had a role to play on a championship team, and I and and yeah, so just adding to that, like a little bit more of the detail to what you're just saying, and and yeah, no, I, I've really enjoyed watching him. I got really excited when he did a really great job switching out onto Quentin Grimes the other night when they were playing the Knicks, who Quentin Grimes is rumored to be like one of the guys that's the centerpiece of the Donovan Mitchell trade coming up, (laughs) which is insane to me. I thought it would have had to take Barrett, but I think the Knicks just have so many picks that that's what, that's what they really want. Right. The the jazz. Uh, But he did a great job against Grimes and, and uh, just switching out onto a smaller guy, which is like the stuff that you need him to do. It's he has the size. He rebounds the ball. Well, he has a great looking jumper. Uh, his, His free throw, uh, form looks great. His three point form looks great. Um, I yeah, I, I I I'm enthralled by Jabari Walker. Like he's exactly like the type of player that I was like, damn, the Blazers don't really have a wing that can do a lot of different things and match up against bigger guy, bigger wings, and bigger small forwards like your Paul Georges of the world. And hey, he's he's got something there, and and I think. A lot of people were like, well, you know, they should have signed him to a two-way because, you know, for the flexibility and whatnot. But if if what we're if we are believing our eyes right now and like then he's probably gonna crack the rotation at some point and you're just gonna have to do this dance later in the season to get him a real contract. So it, it like I think they just kind of skipped a step there, and I, I don't blame them for it. It makes a lot of sense given what we've seen. I was told that there's actually some tax i don't remember exactly the machinations of it but i was told that there are some luxury tax advantages like a a minimum nba contract counts as less on the luxury tax than a two-way or or 
in some in some form or another. I don't I don't remember the exact. Lead, well, isn't you know. uh, was it part of the, I think part of the mid level exception was used to sign yes. him because so, it was a three way it was a three year deal. Michael Scotto at Hoops Hype just reported the details of the contract, so it was a three year deal. So in order to sign somebody to longer than two years at the minimum you have to use one of your exceptions or part of one of your exceptions. And so that's what they use. That's why Gary Payton was only making 8 million or 8.2 or whatever his starting salary was, as opposed to the whole 10 million mid-level exception. Cause they wanted to leave enough of it open that they could sign Jabari Walker to a multi-year contract. If they decided to, and I remember, so on draft night, people kind of rolled their eyes at the pick because he played at Colorado and there was just this assumption that, oh, that's just Chauncey Billups' take because he's, you know, Chauncey's also a Colorado guy. He's taking care of Colorado, you know, guys. And this is just going to be because, like, I used to cover the Bulls during the Garpax era and they would just take every Iowa State or New Mexico coach because those are where Gar had the background. But it seems like this was also a guy, just like Shade and Sharp, it seems like Jabari Walker. I mean, him being a Colorado guy is kind of an easy connection to point to with Chauncey because Chauncey follows that program a lot. But I heard that this was another guy that Mike Schmitz was also kind of zeroed in on and really liked. And honestly, and I said this on Twitter the other night during one of Jabari Walker's games and he was playing well, this is why hiring the guy from Draft Express who has the most comprehensive database of every one of these prospects since they were 12 is probably not a bad idea for your organization if you're trying to revamp a front office. And unlike some other things, this is actually proprietary now. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's but, the thing. That, that's why I thought that hire was so brilliant at the time because uh, – not only are you hiring somebody with that database, but you're now taking that database away from the other 29 teams. So you're hurting them at the same time as you're helping yourself. So just from a competitive advantage standpoint, it's just, it was a smart move. And I've super actually shrewd, of, super shrewd move like that. Yeah, that was, like that's a Godfather move by Cronin. Honestly, you're getting the best scouting guy and you kneecap the other 29 teams. Like that is just like, that's Godfather shit. And I've also said this before that, the Blazers' previous GM would never do something like this because the most important thing to him was that he was the smartest guy in the room at all times. And clearly this guy knows more about draft prospects than Joe Cronin, and that's why Joe Cronin hired him, because he wanted somebody who would cover up his own weaknesses, which is what a good, you know, I'm still kind of getting a feel for how Joe is going to run the front office. One of the good things about being at Summer League and access being totally open is I got to actually spend a little bit of FaceTime with Joe and start really building, you know, building that relationship on a more real level outside of press conferences and talk to him a little bit. And I, you know, I, I knew Mike Schmitz a little bit from media stuff over the years, but I got to talk to him a little bit more. I met their other front office people who I'd never met before. Sergey Oliva, uh, Andre Patterson, Asia Jones. I, I got to actually introduce myself to those people face to face and put a name to a face, which I think is going to be good going forward as we all kind of get used to this new front office regime we should probably talk now about we just talked about like the most positive development that came out of summer league we should probably talk about kind of the biggest bummer of it all which is that we got to see about five minutes worth of the blazers lottery pick shade and sharp before he suffered a small tear in his labrum with you know, in in the you know in the first summer league game and was ruled out for the rest of the time. They said the other day he would be reevaluated in ten to fourteen days, and this just it sucks because a it sucks for him because you know he hasn't played in a year because he didn't play at Kentucky, and so he was kind of itching to get out there and play, and now he's hurt and he couldn't play. But also, this is the first time since CJ McCollum in twenty thirteen that. Blazer fans have had an actual lottery level prospect to watch at summer league. Like there was some intrigue about Anthony Simons the year he was drafted, but he was picked in the twenties. He did not nearly have the, the same amount of height that sharp did where he was the number seven overall pick. And he was like, quote unquote, the mystery man of the draft. And we just didn't get to see him at all. Yeah, it sucked, man. It was just like it was a huge bummer. Uh, they they took you know they they had the mystery man and and like the last time he played the the I think it's it was like the the time that he played that everyone talks about was like P 
Peach Jam in 2020 or something like that. It was like it was like he killed it at the 2020 Peach Jam or something like that. And it was like, an, you know, granted, like that's an, a, a very elite, highly regarded EYBL tournament, but that is also not the NBA or even NBA Summer League. And so like, yes, everyone wanted to see this and there was so much hype about him, about how he could be the number one pick in 2023 or whatever, like that, the Kalapari quote that he put out there and how talented he could be. And I think even Kevin O'Connor gave the Blazers an A plus for drafting shade and sharp. Like the hype about him was just so intense and to have it deflate like that was just like, I mean, it was just quintessential blazers. You know what I mean? It was just, it was just like, like, you know, just one of those things were like, Oh, come on. You know, one of those, it, it was just classic, like throw your hands up. Woe is us. The Jabari Walker thing kind of counterbalanced it a little bit and said, Hey, here's a positive thing that everybody can feel good about. Even though the lottery pick is barely playing. I will say I did ask around a little bit to a few people with medical backgrounds because when you say when you see torn labrum in the press release you think because that's that's the injury that nasir little just had this during the Mm -hmm. season and he missed the whole season or or after like february or march or whatever he missed the rest of the season and so you would think that would be a serious injury i was told that they think that the tear with sharp is small enough that it's going to just heal on its own without having to do surgery if he just like does rehab and physical therapy a lot of times these tears if they're small enough can just heal on their own and they'll be fine and they're right now they're kind of hoping that that's going to be the case which they said they'd reevaluate in a couple of weeks so we'll see where that's at it's always possible that it doesn't heal and then they decide to get surgery in which case he would probably be out until december or january which would obviously suck but right now they feel like there's a chance that it's not the end of the world. And if, and if it does heal on its own, then he'll be ready to go by training camp. So that's at least a positive thing. One other thing I thought was interesting with Shade and Sharp, and this is kind of a dialogue that was started. And this was before Dame actually signed the extension, which we will obviously get into also. But during the Blazers first summer league game against the Pelicans, he gave an interview on ESPN with Cassidy Hubbard. Like, dur- like during the game, you know how, like, first of all, first of all their, their first summer league game, basically the whole team, the only guy that I didn't actually personally see there was Josh Hart. But Dame was there, Nurk was there, Nasir Little was there, Anthony Simons and Jeremy Grant both flew down from Portland after the press conference. Both of them were on my flight, actually, but that's a different story. But, uh, they, you know... Who, who have like Justice Winslow was there. Like basically the entire team was there to watch the first game. And so they pulled Dame over and he did an interview on ESPN. And he would, Cassidy asked him about Shade and Sharp. And he basically said, like, I think he's really talented, but he has to get out there and play and prove why he was picked as high as he was. And obviously on the internet, a lot of people kind of immediately jumped on the clip of that and took it to say, well, Dame is not happy with the pick. Like, Dame Dame doesn't think this new guy is good, and he's just too nice to say it. And I was, and I actually wrote something about this for Rose Garden Report subscribers, if you want to go read that. And if you're not a subscriber uh, to the paid tier, you should become one, by the way. There's a plug. But I took that quote as Dame basically trying to challenge Shade and Sharp to stop trying to just protect his own stock and his reputation and actually get out and play. Now, you know, there, the, him getting this shoulder injury is nothing you can do anything about. Like, that's kind of out of his control. But a point that I made in that piece and something that I think is a factor here, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on this too, but when you look at the way that Dame came up and the way that Dame got into the league, he was not really a heavy, you know, highly recruited guy out of high school. He played at a mid-major at Weber State. He grinded for four years. He wasn't, when he declared for the draft, people didn't think he was a lottery pick. And then he started, like, dominating at the combine and rose up draft boards and started going to these workouts and blowing teams away. And then he ended up being the sixth overall pick. But he didn't really have an easy path to that. Whereas Shade and Sharp was a five-star recruit committed to Kentucky, which is one of the biggest programs in the country, 
decided just not to play because he wanted to protect his draft stock and then still went seventh overall. And so if you're Dame and you came up the way you came up, Dame just like can't really relate to that. And so he, I don't want to say is skeptical of Sharp because he was sitting in on all of the workouts that everybody else in the organization was sitting in on during the pre-draft process. He was there, he's seen him. And I think he thinks he's talented and I think he thinks he can be really good. But he's just like everybody else. He just wants to see it. Dame is not passive aggressive. No. Dame says what's on his mind. And I think what he did there was do that. And also, to your point about how the way Dame came up, you know, Dame was always grinding. And I think one of the things about Sharp that, at least to me, just looking at his path and in the past couple of years, it does seem to me that maybe he's kind of a guy who's idealizing like what a perfect scenario would be for him to play. And I think maybe what Dame is kind of alluding to here, I don't think he's saying like, you know, hurt yourself, but I think he's also saying like, you're never going to be 100%. You're never going to be, nothing is ever going to be perfect in the NBA. Like you're never going to be all the way 100. Everything is going to be working for you. Everything is working for you. Everything is going well. This is not how it's going to work. And I think that is a reality check for someone like Shade and Sharp who hasn't had to do that yet and uh, and has had the ability to sit out a college season and still be a lottery pick. And I think – yeah, I think Dame is is challenging him and also kind of giving him a little bit of a reality check. Like, hey, man, like nothing is – everything can't be perfect. There's probably not going to be a perfect time for you to finally start going hard and playing and showing who you are. And I think one of the things that might also, you know, be hurting him too is like that reputation of being such a top prospect – you know, I think immediately of something that Scottie Pippen said about Giannis that I think about a lot, that yeah, Scottie Pippen was on NBA Today a couple of years ago, and he said something really, really profound about Giannis that I think I think Shaden Sharp needs to adopt and I think is good for any young player to adopt, and is that Giannis is never afraid to embarrass himself on the court, trying hard to play and get better at basketball and try things and get better because the only way you're going to get better at these things is by failing and trying and, and having those moments. And especially when you come into the NBA as a rookie. And so I think there's, I think maybe what Dane was trying to do there is kind of try to get him to understand like a shift needs to happen in the way that he thinks about his career now, because he cannot measure success by not failing anymore. If he's never going to fail, then he's never going to get better. And then what is he, what, what kind of career is he going to have? I think that to me is, is one of my takeaways too, is that like Dame kind of like setting the groundwork here for like in the NBA, nothing is perfect. Nothing is ideal. And you got to go get it. And I think that was his message to Shaden Sharp. Like you got to get it. You got to claim your place and you're not going to do that by you know, not playing and, and, you know, hopefully his shoulder heals and, and this is all moot, but you know, this was a real big opportunity for him. And I know he hurt his shoulder, but it still sucks. I think that him coming here and being with Dame is going to be good for him. Just for exactly the reasons that you just laid out. And you look at the example of Anthony Simons, who also came I mean, his, his circumstances for not playing at college were, a little bit different because he committed to Louisville and then there was all that scandal stuff with Patino and he decided to bail. So that there's a little bit of a different, he didn't just decide not to play in order to protect his draft stock. So it was a little bit of a different situation. Right. And he felt like, I mean, from what I understand, he felt like at home with Patino. Yeah. And then like once Patino was gone, he's like, fuck that. I'm not going to college. And then, you know, you saw Simon's like, he kind of had, there were a lot of the same question marks and red flags about him coming into the draft where he hasn't played against real high-level competition. He's only played against high school kids. How ready is he going to be? And he went. He probably would have gone higher than 24th in the draft if he had actually had a year of tape against real, you know, high, you know, college-level competition. But he didn't play really at all his rookie season, and then he didn't even really play that much his second season. And 
when he did play, I think one of the when when ESPN put out their I think for his sec for his second year, ESPN put out their like real plus minus rankings. He was literally the worst player in the NBA by that ranking. So it was not easy for him right away. But he behind the scenes, even though he wasn't playing, he put in the work. He got a lot better. You saw what he was able to do last year with the opportunity where, you know, after they shut Dame down and they traded Norm and they traded CJ, he was the guy and he stepped up and he showed that he's ready for that role. And then he just signed a hundred million dollar contract. So I think Dame is looking at Shade and Sharp and thinking, I need to stay on this guy, make sure he puts in the work. And then even if he doesn't play right away, maybe he'll become as good as Ant or even better because he was a top 10 pick. Yeah, I, I think that's that's Dame the the Dame motivation school right there, and I th- I think yeah I, I think that's totally it. And I think yeah totally it's a great thing that Sharp went to a team with an established veteran with a work ethic like Dame because once camp step starts going and like they're in the gym together all the time, like you're not going to be able to unsee like how hard Dame works and the stuff that he does to prepare his body and prepare his game and prepare his mind. Like, like you're just not like, once you see that the best player on your team, a multi-time all-star NBA top 75 player is doing that. Like you have no more excuses. And I think it's like, it, and I think it, this was like uh, the opening stanza of Dame's mind, uh, you know, mind control of, of shade and sharp, but not mind control, but like, but like the, the Dame washing, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm just trying Dame to come washing. Up, that's good. Uh, I like, uh, that. like, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to come up with a term for it because like, no, I mean, Dame every, washing is great. That's that. That's good. Cause he's done it. With, I mean, I mean, Nasir little, also, Nurkic, Nasir uh, little also has, gets a lot of credit for like working really hard. And I think yeah. Dame is part of that. Like, yeah. Nurkic. I mean, that's Nasir a whole little is another guy who went to a major, he was a higher level recruit, went to a major, major college program at Carolina. And then, his he played in his freshman season, but it didn't really go the way he planned. He wasn't starting; it, it just wasn't very good, and so he fell in the draft. And then he also put in the work and got better, and is now a good NBA rotation player when he's healthy. Yeah, and so I I just think that yeah, this is great stuff, and I th- I think it's important that the Blazers you know do this for him, and I, I think it's a great place for him to be. So yeah, it is. It has been a bummer. It has been a disappointment, but like. We're not calling Shaden Sharp a bust. No, not at all. No, no, no. Uh, but and at the time when Dame made that comment, there was a lot of speculation that, oh, well, does this mean Dame is still unhappy in Portland? And then a day later, what happens? He signs the extension that we all knew that he was going to sign eventually, and then he gave a press conference in Las Vegas, which I was in attendance for, and. It went about as you would expect. It's It was a lot of just the, I want to play in Portland my whole career. I'm okay if I never win a championship as long as we're actually putting ourselves in a position to win a championship. And he trusts Joe Cronin. It was, it was, it was kind of like Dame 101. He even took it to a higher level though. Like the quotes about like, uh, I doing it for the jersey, the name on the front instead of yes. only the name on the back. Like that was like, Every man over 45 was like hyped when they heard that shit. It was just like, it was just like, 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 like he just played the hits of like team guy, but like, you know what? I, it was cool. Like nobody does this anymore. So it's like, it was tight that he did it. Like it's, it's now like, it's now like a zag to be like the cliche, like I'm about my team, which is like so wild, but it is just where we're at. And it's like, you see this compared to, what we're seeing with KD and Donovan Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. I, I loved it. I love the press conference. I'm so stoked for, uh, I'm so stoked for the season. I definitely bet on Dame to win MVP already. Um, What are the odds? This is Eric's gambling corner for those who are new to the program. 50 to one. That's value folks. Sure. Yeah. Throw 10 bucks on that as a Homer pick. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. You win 500 bucks, uh, as like a, you know, Maybe, and but for what it's worth, Dame also was talking just on this on the on the subject of like how this next season might go for him. And you know everybody's gonna say this after they undergo a surgery and miss a lot of time, but Dame was talking about how he feels like he's physically stronger than he was before the injury. And like his trainer Phil Beckner was there at the press conference with him, and Dame was talking about how he and Phil Beckner and like their physical therapist and he he has a boxing coach also 
Like they put together a whole different regimen for him that basically completely rebuilt his entire workout routine and has basically, you know, built up his entire physique in a different way. And he's, he's talking about how he thinks that he's going to be a, he's going to have like his best season of his career next year, which again, everybody's going to say that after they undergo a surgery, but we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm very, I'm very interested. I, I definitely think people are going to forget when, when I see a lot of the, you know, the talk about this off season for the Blazers and like, Oh, well, where do they slot in the West? I think people are forgetting that a healthy Damian Lillard at, by itself is 40 is 45 wins at the floor. People forget that Damian Lillard is a problem and a, bucket. And a bucket and different. Don't forget that. And, and also a cheat code and a cheat code. I mean, yeah, dude, I, I think also, I think this plays perfectly. Like, like Zach Lowe having the Blazers eleventh, like I think is, is is this is just tremendous. I don't think Zach actually had the Blazers eleventh. I think he was saying like he could because he said I listened to that podcast and I under I saw a lot of like Blazers Twitter talking about like Zach Lowe had the Blazers. I listened to that podcast. I think he was saying that he could see like if you told him that there were ten teams that finished ahead of Portland, he wouldn't be surprised. But he also said he wouldn't be surprised if they finished fifth if Dame has an incredible year and Jeremy Grant fits in. And I think that's about the range. Like I could see both scenarios happen. I think one is more likely than the other. But the West is deep, man. It is. It, it is very deep. I mean, but like I mean, we talked about this on the last pod. But uh, and I think New Orleans is is like they're going to be strong. Like I, yes. I, I, I'm normally Minnesota a, with Gobert is going to be a very good regular season team. Yeah, those two teams are going to be good. I think Dallas is still going to be good, even though they lost Brunson. Like, you know, I, I, I think that uh, even Memphis they, is the one that we can say I think is going to take a step back because they aren't going to have Jaron Jackson for a lot of the year. They just lost slow mo. They lost Melton. So they're there. I think they're, and also teams aren't like surprised by them anymore. So I think they're going to take a step back, but. Like you've you've got Denver back in the mix with Murray and Porter healthy. You've got the Clippers back in the mix with Kawhi healthy. You still got Golden State and Phoenix pending whatever happens with Durant. They're still in the mix. Sacramento even like the Keegan Murray reviews from Summer League are incredible, and they hire. I think Mike Brown is a much better coach than Luke Walton, and they have good veterans on their roster. Like I could see Sacramento getting in the mix for at least a play in spot. Like. The West is as deep as it's ever been. Also, like, I'm still soft launching my OKC, <laughs> like, hanging out in the play-in thing with Chet. Like, Chet and SGA and Giddy, like, dude, Giddy's nice. Giddy's there's, good. There's no reason for Giddy to be playing Summer League. Like, I, I only if it's to, like, get reps playing with Chet. But, like, he's too it good to like be like those in guys are, like, the new NBA bromance. They're, like, the new Toby and Bobby. Yeah, yeah, I know. Except and, they're both actually good. Yeah, I mean, look, their starting five would be SGA, Dort, Giddy, Chet, and someone else. I mean, that's not a bad starting five. That's not terrible. No. And so, like, some other wing. I don't know who, but they put another wing there and they'll figure it out. Like, I, I think they have a, a decent enough team to, like, hang around the play-in for a little while, even if they don't make it in. Because, I mean, San Antonio's San Antonio and Houston, to me, are non-factors. And, and Utah. Utah. <laughs> Once they trade Donovan Mitchell, they already traded Gobert for a bunch of picks. They, th- those those are the three teams that you can look at and say they're not even going to be you know in the mix. But the other 12 teams, theoretically, I mean, I could see a world where Oklahoma City, where where Sam decides to go after Victor and just do one more year of, of the tank. Shut Chet, shut Chet down, shut SGA down again. I could see that happening. I don't, I think they're going to, at least at the beginning of the season, be trying to go for it. But if they have one injury to one of those guys, I could see them pivoting. But I do feel like at a certain point though, like, I mean, SGA seems like a good soldier, but like at a certain point, I'd be pissed getting shut down this much if I were him. I agree. But, but we're talking about there being 12, like if you just take out Utah, San Antonio, Houston, we're talking about 12 teams trying to make the playoffs at for 10 spots now with the play. And you can make a case for all of them. So I think Portland is talented enough to be in the top six or the top seven. But if you told me that some injury stuff broke the wrong way for them and they ended up 10th or 11th, I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't be completely shocked. We also need some resolution on this Durant stuff yes. to really, to, uh, to truly appraise the west because 
if he ends up in Phoenix, that could change things, but it could also that change everything. It changes everything, but also it's like, do if Phoenix loses Macau Bridges and Aiton to get Kevin Durant? Or if Phoenix just loses DeAndre Ayton, if Indy actually signs him to this offer sheet, and then they don't get Durant and they lose their starting center? And Bismack Biombo comes into the year as their starting center? Yeah, exactly. I mean, JaVale McGee's on the Mavericks now, so they, they yeah. lost him, and he was a huge factor for them. Like, so so I, I, I do think that Phoenix is in danger. Like, I will say this. They're not going to be the number one seed. No, I, I, I feel I feel pretty comfortable saying they're not going to be the number one seed. Um, even if they get Durant, I have a lot of questions about a team that is just – that is Durant, CP3, and Devin Booker. Durant also misses enough games, and so does Chris Paul, that, like, they're not going to be a number one seed. Right, and offensively, that's great. But Chris Paul was not looking great defensively towards the end of that Maverick series or even in parts of the Pelican series. And then you also have – the fact that Booker is, you know, he's going to want to be the star and it's kind of his team if you go there. And Durant is a great defender, but like, I don't think he can take that load at 34 of like, all right, KD, you're going to be like the best three and D player of all time. Like, I just can't see that. I love that we've been going through all of the teams in the West and how they stack up against Portland. The one team that we haven't even mentioned yet is the Lakers. <laughs> The Scottie Pippen Jr. prestige has not won me over yet. <laughs> I will say it's, I mean, it's sounding more and more. I mean, look, I agree it, with this. The Kyrie thing's going to happen. I, man, I, I kind of hope, I really hope it doesn't. Like now I'm like so pot committed. Like when I heard the rumors yesterday that he was going to stay and he was posting like people wearing his Nets jersey on Instagram. I was like, I played, I, I shared on Blazer Banter. I played that. Russell Westbrook clip of him singing the Beyonce song after he opted into his contract. And uh-huh. I just, I really need what Russell Westbrook to be on the Lakers again for the content. Like it would just be so good, especially after all this stuff, like all the time they've wasted on ESPN talking about like where Westbrook is sitting and where LeBron is sitting and all this stuff. And again, like I know to get too deep in NBA. The only thing that matters is if Anthony Davis is healthy and is good. That's it. Like, like all the rest of the stuff is really window dressing is Anthony Davis can stay healthy, play at an all-star level. The Lakers will be in the mix for the playoffs, but if not, they're done. One other thing to bring up, I think from the Dame press conference, and then we have a little bit of sales stuff to get into also, because I wrote a big piece on that today at the Rose garden report that you can go check out. I actually made that one free for everybody. That that's one, I think as a programming note, if I had a little, a few more paid subscribers, I probably would have paywalled that one. But since I'm still trying to build it up, that one I decided to just give away for free just to give people an idea of what I'm going to be doing behind the paywall going forward. So you can go read that. But I would still encourage you to subscribe. So we'll get into some of the sales stuff. But one more thing on the Dame Presser. The question that I actually asked him at the press conference was whether there was ever a point that he was seriously considering trying to leave Portland. And I knew exactly what he was going to say. I knew that he was going to say last summer after they lost to Denver. And then he was wondering whether the front office was actually doing enough to contend. And I knew that was what he was going to say. And that was what he said. And then at uh, one point later, when someone else asked him about whether he, you know, why he trusts Joe Cronin to, uh, build a contender he said he told me he's trying to win and i have a pretty good idea of when somebody is bsing and blowing smoke and i didn't get that vibe from him and i I just i just thought that was interesting i just i thought it was pretty obvious who he was comparing cronin to and i just i thought it was interesting that that was as close as he's come to saying any of that on the record that's pretty good that's pretty good i i do feel like there is a like I wrote about this a little bit too on my newsletter that like I did laserbanter.substack.com by the way go get it. That's right. That's right. Uh I, it did feel like even though I wasn't at the press conference that day cuz I had my job that I was doing. I felt like July 7th the day that like the first summer league game and the press conference that they had was like the first real like real first day of the post Olshay era. Like yes. that, that's what it really felt like. That was like, to me, that was a turning point. And then they signed Dame like a couple of days after that, like, 
it just feels like finally like the fruits of the labor of the shit show season and the investigation and last summer and all that shit it just feels like it has been washed off and like now it's as close to a fresh start as they can get yeah like it feels a lot better just it just feels less stale than it has been and i think that that is a really important point because you know, there's the trolls among us will say, oh, well, you know, they just switched around some different guards. And it's like basically the same team. Right. And it's like, no, it's not. And it's it's it really is a very different team where they're built to accentuate Dame's strengths and cover up his weaknesses in a way that the past constructions of the teams just did not do. I was down in Vegas for five days and so many people that I talked to, you know, people that I hadn't seen in a year or two and caught up with media people, people who work for the other teams, you know, people of the league office, whatever. They would all ask me, like, how are things in Portland? And every single time my answer, I would say something cryptic, like, I didn't, because I didn't want to just go directly into it, but I would say something cryptic, like, ever since early December, things have been a lot better. And every single person, A, immediately knew what I was talking about, and B, would say, I can't imagine how much better things are with him gone. Like, it's just a universal, like, I came away from this summer league even more convinced than I was before that he's never going to work in the NBA again because nobody likes him. Nobody, everybody was happy that he got fired. Yeah, yeah, it it really was, like, every single person that I knew, it was, uh, I don't don't know if I've used this reference before, but I'll use it again for this podcast because I think I've only used it for the family. But if any of y'all have watched the movie, all the president's men. There's a moment when Dustin Hoffman goes over to the home of someone that used to work for the committee to reelect. And she says something there when he's interviewing her, where she says, if you guys could get John Mitchell, who was the attorney general at the time during Watergate, that would be beautiful. And I think if you talk to anybody that worked for the Blazers for the past 10 years, they probably would give you a similar type of vibe as we they they loved to see it like they did it's just a fact like like i think a lot of people within the blazers organization were very happy to see neil's downfall you made a point about this being as close to a fresh start as possible there's one thing that's still left to play out that i think would really make this whole thing feel like a fresh start and that is if the team were to get sold and I wrote something about that, like I said, this morning, which you can go read. But last week, I was actually in the car on my way to the airport to fly to Vegas when someone sent this to me. There was a story in the New York Post that quoted, the only person that it quoted on the record was Larry Miller, who's the former Blazers uh, team president and the current uh, chairman of Jordan Brand talking about how toxic Jody Allen is and how she needs to take Phil Knight's offer. And it goes into a lot of the stuff from her past that's kind of been out there, like the animal bones thing, the sexual harassment uh, allegations. All, all, I mean, it, it wasn't breaking any news. This is all stuff that was kind of out there. But I thought the timing of it was interesting, coming a couple days after the statement that she put out that seemed like it was out of nowhere about the team not being for sale. And the vibe that I, cause I, one of the things I wanted to do while I was down in Vegas was talk to as many people around the league as possible and just kind of get a feel for where all of this is going. I got the sense that we're going to see more pieces like that New York post piece coming down the pike and there are going to be more and more efforts to make basically try I don't I don't think this is going to work necessarily but there people who are invested in Phil Knight buying the team are going to try to embarrass her as publicly as possible in order to make her just decide to sell to make all of this go away I don't know how well that's going to work but I think that's the idea as of right now yeah, it seems like uh, they're trying to accomplish this via the way that in the scene of Game of Thrones when Cersei's walking through the town and everyone's throwing shit at her and saying, shame, shame, uh-huh. shame. Yeah. Like, By it, the way, it, Bert Cold was the 
Blazer's representative at the Board of Governors meeting in Vegas, not Jody. So she was not around during Summer League. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to work, uh, to be honest. I, like, like I, I, I understand the tactic for sure. I just don't know. I, there's a term in Spanish that we use um, to describe people like Jody and Bert. Sinvergüenza, which means they are not, they can't possibly get embarrassed. They have no sense of embarrassment whatsoever. When you're that rich, you don't care about optics. No, There's exactly. No so, like, like, so, like, like, it's very like, I, I, I understand the ploy, but like, I think we're not dealing with we're we're, we're dealing with the Vulcans, like, not like people that are like aspire to be not human. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> like, like that's like they are that that's like what their mo is. I mean, good luck. I, I mean, I, I want it to happen. I want that sale to go through. It would be awesome. Ron Wyden wants it to happen. Uh, the oh, sem- yeah. That, the sem- that was the other part of it that we haven't talked about yet. But, like, you're, get, you're getting the, you're getting the you know, the federal government involved now. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> but, yeah, senator exactly. is talking about how he's been in touch with Adam Silver and that there's discussions happening. I and then believe- he's a personal, close personal friend of Adam Silver's. Well, they have worked together before, or they have been in communication before, because if you remember this, uh... Ron Wyden was one of the people who, back before Ennis Cantor kind of started running in some of the circles that Ennis Cantor is currently running in, when he was on the Blazers and there was the situation going on with his family being kind of held hostage in Turkey, Ron Wyden was one of the people who was really taking up his cause in that way. So I think he had a prior relationship with the league and with Adam Silver in that way. But I just thought it was interesting that he, they're, they're kind of bringing out all the, you know, all the big guns right now. They've got the U S Senator involved. Now they've got Larry Miller coming out and talking about how toxic Jody is. And like, there's going to be more of this coming. Yeah. I mean, I, one last on the white and silver thing, it goes a little bit deeper. Uh, Adam silver was actually a, an intern for a former Congressman, a democratic Congressman from Oregon, Les O'Coin. So, so that was in the Willamette Week article uh, that where they had the interview. So like they go back like it's not even just the Ennis Cantor thing. Like they go back to like the 90s. That's yeah, that's an interesting point also that, you know, there's just there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on. I believe that this is going to get done in the next year one way or another. I think that by January or February, this is a, this is just a guess. This is like an educated guess by January or February. I think Phil Knight is going to be. I don't want to say the sale is going to be done, but by that time, I think by mid-season, Phil Knight is going to be in the process of becoming the owner of the Portland Trail Blazers. So with that, I think that's kind of everything that we have to cover. There, you know, it was a good week in Vegas. You got to come out next year. I, I I will say this also. I am so looking now. You know, covering the Blazers as like now that since I started this newsletter, I've been like my main focus of the work that I'm doing is now covering the Blazers as opposed to kind of being more of a general, you know, NBA columnist type, like I was, you know, doing a lot of it BR. I am looking forward to next year when the Blazers do not have a lottery pick and they maybe schedule some of these games in the middle of the day at the, at the small gym, instead of always getting the primetime spot where I then have to be at the arena until like 12 doing media stuff after the last game of the night. Especially when the guy that they scheduled you that late for ends up not playing after the first five minutes of summer league. Correct. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I think it'll be better. It'll be better for the, uh, for the talking, for the, uh, you know, getting, you know, getting to know people aspect of summer league, which is really the best part of it. I mean, the games, who gives a shit? Um, I mean, ultimately, I mean, the, the Jabari Walker stuff has been great. I'm definitely going to watch the game tonight uh, against the Rockets, the battle for Jabari supremacy. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's the best when you can just like kind of, you know, putz around both gyms, go back and forth. Uh, that was my, or, or and it, also the hallway, the hallway between the gyms is like, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a key zone for, for meeting people as well. The, the, the hallway the, and also the pit down in Thomas and Mac, which was back open last year. They, we couldn't get any in there and like, it was totally restricted because of COVID this year that was back open. 
We we love to see it. We love to see it. and yeah. I saw I, I did see the the videos that people were like Lakers fans and Nets fans like trying to will the trade into existence by like you know showing the videos of uh, Sean Marks talking to Rob Palenka and then also them talking to Masai Ujiri and like Rich Paul talking to Woj. Yeah, Rich Paul talking to Woj. Like oh man. Uh, it, it was really good stuff. Also, one last note. Did you see the Many Men mashup of the of Windhorse, the Windhorse video set to Many Men? I did not. Oh, okay. That well, sounds like that would be incredible, though. I will say also, though, go listen to... This is not a podcast that I normally listen to, but the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast with Jimmy Traina. Last week, he had Brian Windhorse on, and they just went through like a blow-by-blow of... Wendy taping that first take segment that went viral and what went into it and what his thought process was and what the reaction to it was. And then he also got into a lot of stuff about how his relationship with LeBron has evolved over the years. And I mean, just Wendy's the man, just like go, go listen to that podcast. Wendy's the best. Love it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go do it after we get off this podcast. Yeah. That's a, probably a good place to wrap it up. I Today's Thursday. We'll, I will try to get one in this weekend, and then we'll – again, because of the Summer League travel and because I was tied up with stuff at Summer League, I wasn't able to get a pod out then. But, you know, going forward for the rest of the summer, we're going to try to get back to doing two of these a week. So just keep listening. Subscribe, rate, review, all the usual platforms. Give me five stars, but only five stars. Don't give me less than five stars. If you're going to write a review that's less than five stars, don't – do it Just no give reviews. Me five stars and as always subscribe to the rose garden report newsletter at rosegardenreport.beehive.com i would encourage you to get a paid subscription i've got some now i've got some ideas i'll just i now i'm still figuring out exactly what i'm gonna do now that we're in kind of the dead period of the off season but i have some ideas for some more in-depth like feature stuff that i want to do for the paying subscribers now that i have a little bit more time and the news cycle has slowed down and there isn't just like, cause I've been pumping out so much stuff over the last three weeks that I've been doing this because there's just been so much news to cover one day after the other. I started this thing like the Tuesday of draft week, the next day they trade for Jeremy Grant. The day after that, they draft somebody in the top 10 of the draft. The week after that is free agency and then summer league and then Dame signed the extension. So there's just been nonstop stuff to cover. And now that that's slowing down, I'm going to try to do some kind of more, not so timely, but more so just kind of in-depth feature stuff. There maybe won't be as much stuff coming out. I'm going to try to do, I think, two or three things a week that are really good, that are worth paying to subscribe for is kind of my plan for the rest of the offseason. And then training camp starts in late September, and then we'll kind of be back to daily coverage after that. So the response, as usual, the response has been awesome. And I had a lot of people at Summer League come up and tell me that they have really liked what I'm doing so far. So I appreciate that. And just keep, you know, keep, keep rocking with me. We'll keep doing cool stuff. So uh, thanks for listening.